Hey everybody, John Millen here with Millen Group, uh, Benefit Hackers Podcast. I'm going to talk to you about how do you have make an environment, create an environment, design an environment where every year when you talk about your employee benefits package, you look forward to it. You are excited about being in front of the room with the employees or on a Zoom if they're remote. It's positive expectation instead of dread and misery and, oh, God, can we skip the meeting this year because it's always what? It's always what? Is it good news? Is it always good news? It's always bad news. Pretty much. Or, or no, neutral news. It's not a pleasant experience. And so I'm going to talk, uh, um, just thinking this on the way to work, um, just a little... I've had some conversations recently and just kind of framing some things up in my mind. And I want to talk about how do you change that if you're interested. So if you want to learn how to change that, um, this is not a sales pitch. This is just I'm giving you some some really good ideas from being in the industry for 20 years. And I've been I've been in I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of open enrollment employee benefit meetings, right? In 20 years, I've seen a lot from all kinds of companies, all size companies, different states, different, you know, you name it, all kinds of medical plans. It, it, wow, it's, it's a lot of variation. So that gives me a unique perspective that many other people may not have. I mean, they might have it. A lot of other health insurance professionals have done that too. I'm not the only person, but if you're working with someone brand new and they've not really been around or they're just maybe the producer, they bring the group on and then they hand you over to an account manager and then you never see that person that sold you the first place. They, they don't, they don't, they haven't seen this. And so I'm going to give you some perspective because I think it's a valid point when we talk to CFOs or HR directors or owners and I'm like, how, you know, let's, let's put this in context. What, what are we talking about? We're talking about taking a big pile of money that comes into the organization, top line revenue or donations and grants if it's a nonprofit, right? So this money comes in, let's just call it top line revenue, money coming into the top of the organization and you get to decide what to do with it. So a million dollars comes in and or, or money comes in and you decide to take a million of that dollars and use it for wages and salary and and. and bonuses. So that's your salary and compensation. And then you take another chunk of money, let's call it half a million dollars. And you decide you could use that as compensation, but you decide to use it for non-cash compensation, other things. So what are you going to do? You got this half a million dollars. You could give everyone a raise and bump their hourly rate. But why do you not do that? Why do you decide to put it in a different bucket called non-cash compensation? And really, there's two buckets. There could be more, but I'm going to talk about two big buckets. One is benefits, right? Typically, healthcare benefits, but put everything in there. Dental, vision, disability, life, all that stuff. Benefits. And what's the other big bucket? Retirement, right? 401k. Oh, yeah, forgot about that. You know, this is the insurance guy talking about 401k, but it's another big bucket of money. And so that is non-cash compensation that you are giving to your employees or investing in them. It's an investment. You may think of it as an expense, but the people you're, you're using this for is that – are those people, are they, are they assets or liabilities? 
their hopefully assets. <laughs> there are a few liabilities in every company, but hopefully they're assets. So it's an investment in that asset base. It's not an expense into that asset base. That's a that's kind of a some when I have these conversations with people, they're like, oh, I've never thought about it that way. Yeah, if you start thinking of it that way, it changes the your thinking process, which can really help you. And why do I know this? Because I have employees. I pay employees. I have benefits. I, I do this myself. And so I've gone through this myself. Like, wait a minute, why am I doing this? Oh, I'm using it in lieu of, and why am I doing that? Oh, oh, okay, I see. It all comes together. Plus, I'm in the industry, so I think about this crap all the time, and I love this stuff. So that's just weird, but that's what we do. That's why I'm on the show, doing talking in my car about but about this stuff, and hopefully why you're listening still. So you have this big pile of money, use it for these two buckets. It's an investment into the asset base. But every year, if you think about what happens, you take this big pile of money, and the next year it gets a little bigger. So now we're going to talk just about healthcare and benefits costs. Most of the time you send a bigger pile of money to the insurance companies and what you get back is usually a little less coverage. Like they move some stuff, right? Oh, your copay went up a little bit. Oh, the pharmacy that was a tier one drug. Now it's tier two, you know, and then, oh, the network, you used to be able to go to those hospitals, but now you're going to go to these. We've made a change. It's called a tailored network. It's not tailored, it's skinny. You skinny down, you took choice away to reduce the cost, to offset the increase, to make the increase less severe. And so the next year you do it again and again and again. Am I right? Right this? Now, maybe not every single year, but I guarantee you 10 years ago, you did not have the same cost or coverage as you do now. I, it's highly doubtful. There may be a few people. Your costs are going up over time. Your coverage is going down and it's squeezing who? Your greatest asset, your people. And it's squeezing you, the organization, in terms of cash flow. Your operating expense line is growing now along with everything else with inflation. It's 2023. It's March 2023 when I'm recording this. Your last year, the baseline CPI inflation was... I think they recorded at 9, 10, 11%, some of that range. So healthcare inflation is going to be at least that. And it was the baseline trend increase, which is a term that we use in insurance of what the base cost for insurance is, was, was 10%. So your costs were going up last year, 10% minimum without even looking at how much anyone used the plan. That's just inflation. So... This is called, and Craig Lack, who's a, a, a friend of mine and a mentor of mine, says this is the um, annual kabuki dance. It's this little dance you do, and then everyone tries to make it good, and then you have, get in front of the room, and, and someone's doing a little tap dance, right? Trying to soften it. You know, hey, pat myself in the back. You got a 23% increase, but man, our broker is so good. They've got 5,000 offices, and man, they just called up Anthem and said, Look, Anthem, we're going to move all of our business if you don't reduce that 23 down to 12. And they said, yes, man, they're good. Man, look how much money I saved you. It's a farce. If you think about it, yes, it's good. I do it too. I push back on carriers for my clients the same way. So I get it. But if you continue, if that is your strategy to get a less severe increase each year and continue to cost shift the coverage by making it worse to the employees, that's all you're doing. 
So your $5,000 deductible plan that you think is really great, it's crap. It is crap coverage. Unless you pay your people so, unless you're a law firm, you're like, we pay people so well, or a tech company, I've seen this. You know, they're making, everyone is six figures plus, they're making so much money. Then it's different. Because your base salary is so high that that they can afford to pay five grand for a deductible before something kicks in. That's different, but that's not the majority of the companies that we talk to. Majority of people, eighty seven percent of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, even those making six figures. So we're not talking about that segment. We're talking about everybody else: the manufacturing company, the dental hygienist at the ortho office or the dental office. Um, the people that are um, manufacturing the print, running the printing press or paving lots or working in construction or building a house over and over and over, right? All that stuff. So what we want to do is change that environment. And it's actually very simple. It's not easy, but it's simple to do. And here's what I'm going to share with you. First, you need to focus on the main thing over time. People are missing the main reason why costs are going up over time. Well, why healthcare costs continue to rise. There's one big reason why they continue to go up that you can you can you can address and 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 handle and take care of, but no one seems to ever talk about this. And there's a reason. The industry doesn't want to talk about it. The four trillion dollar industry, I'm not trying to be you know, like conspiracy theory, but it is a four trillion dollar healthcare ecosystem in the US. That's bigger than most some countries. So that system makes more money as it gets bigger. So it really doesn't want to cut costs all over the place because the whole system makes less money. It's just a fact of of economics. And so so what we need to do is peel the onion and find out what is the root cause? Why does my foot hurt so badly? And you go to the doctor and you think it's your ankle and you realize it's your knee your knee is is putting pressure on your ankle which is putting pressure on your foot so your foot hurts but the problem is your knee the root cause is the knee is off right the issue with healthcare and with benefits is that 80% of the cost that you directly or indirectly pay is related to one thing do you know what it is 80% of your total costs, direct and indirectly, is related to this one thing, and that is claims. Claims drive the cost increase. Claims drives everything. And so if that's true, and if you ask, do a little research, you're like, holy crap, he's right. It's the claims. You have the admin fee in there. You have the broker fees. You have some other things in there, but all that other stuff makes the 20%. Everyone is missing the 80. I can drop the 20% piece of the pie, 10%, but I only save two points. If I drop the 80% piece of the pie, 10%, I'm dropping it four times as much, eight points. The magnitude. So Pareto says focus on the 80%, not the 20%. And so what that means is that the conversations that you should start having now, now that you see this, like, wait a minute, every year this big pile of money gets bigger and then the coverage, to, to offset it, we got to make the coverage worse, which is hurting my employees, which means they're not getting care, which means 
they're stressing about something. It could be the pain in their side because they don't want to get an MRI because they know they have to go through the deductible, then coinsurance, and the deductible is three grand. It's like, oh crap, that's, I don't have three grand. So they don't do it. This is all related. And then their productivity is what? Down a little bit. They're thinking about other stuff. This all is interrelated. So if you address the root cause, you can create an environment where these meetings every year, people are like, wow, that was really good. It's almost they're surprised at the end. I, and I see this every time. What do you guys think at the end? You happy? What do you think? We made, do you think your employer made some good choices? And almost, uh, there's always some disgruntled employees, but most people are like, yeah, this is really good. Wow. It's so, it's so I almost don't believe it. I know. That's why it's in writing. Right? You can go. It, it is almost unbelievable, but it's not. It's just that we took our blinders off. We said, wait a minute. We used our common sense. We stopped thinking, just believing everything that people told us in the past five to 10 years and realized that there is a better way. And the way you do it is that you put in a claims management process. Sounds all fancy. It's very simple though. All it is, is there are things, there are techniques, tactics, vendors, solutions, strategies, little things that you can do to reduce the frequency, severity, or magnitude of your claims. It reduces the frequency, severity, or magnitude of the claims. We don't, um, we don't get there by putting a wellness program in, which is mo- most people go there like, well, okay, we got, our people are unhealthy, our claims are high, so we got to get people healthy. You should get people healthy just to get them health, healthy and make them perform better. But don't do it because you think you're going to bend the cost curve on healthcare. It's been tried for decades. Do your own research on this. It does not work. Very rarely you're trying to change human behavior. For crying out loud, the biggest loser, people go on that show, lose, lose the weight. And then when they get off it, they put it right back on. Most of them. Pay me a million dollars, potential million dollars. I'll lose the weight. I'll work out every day. Right? It's hard to change people's behavior permanently. So you don't go down that route. That's the, you're focusing on the wrong part. And there are techniques and tips. One simple one is pharmaceutical spend. 30% or more of what a company spends annually on your total budget for your, what you're sending to the insurance companies, at least probably 30, if not more, percent is the cost of drugs. They are going up fast. They're the fastest growing sector. There's four buckets in your healthcare. That's the fastest growing. And there are ways that you can reduce the frequency, severity, and magnitude of your pharmaceutical claims. There are absolutely ways. You just haven't heard about them yet. And so when you start to take these pieces with that and you start to use some creative ideas like instead of purchasing the pieces retail, let's go to Costco and get it not that we're going to Costco to get insurance, but you're buying wholesale versus retail. It's the same thing. It's the same peanut butter. When I go to Costco, it's the same GIF that it was at Kroger, but it's cheaper. And so I start buying more things, not, not everything maybe, but I buy the bigger stuff at a wholesale club. And it's the same thing with healthcare components. This is all behind the scenes. Your employees don't know this. But we build you a plan that's built on wholesale pricing. You keep that. You retain that excess. You get that savings instead of the $4 trillion industry. Again, it's very simple. Um, or it's very easy. It's simple. Sorry. It's a simple solution. It's not always easy, though. 
So you need to have a process and someone that's done this and take you through it. And then the last piece is I, th- I feel, and this is more of a requirement now legally, but still forget the legal, forget the fiduciary role that you should be doing the right thing with that money, just like on your 401k. And that is now kind of baked into the new law, the Consolidated Appropriations Act, CAA, um, where you, anyone spending money for healthcare, regardless of whether you're self-funded or not, you have a fiduciary responsibility. Anyone that's involved in making decisions, you can read it yourself. I've read the law. If you're involved in making decisions, if you're the HR manager in, in a meeting making decisions for the company, you are quote unquote at a fiduciary level, a legal, that's a legal requirement, which means if there's a class action lawsuit from all the employees because they're getting hammered and because you've not done anything as a company for 30 years because Bob is your buddy and Bob only buys Anthem because his brother-in-law works for Anthem and they get a million-dollar bonus because they sell a lot of Anthem, you're in that lawsuit, right? That's what that means. That's what this, And people are totally t- taken off. They're like, oh, you're trying to scare me. Oh, you're not an attorney. I'm not an attorney. Read the law. I can read. And I have a brain. And I read it. And it says, if you're involved in the decisions of healthcare, you have a responsibility to make sure it's not being overspent, that you know where the claims are coming from, you're monitoring the pharmacy, and that you're not paying the broker too much for the advice. And therein is the last piece, broker compensation. Most people in this ecosystem, healthcare, in the insurance side of it, most people, the salespeople, let's call it the agents, the insurance reps, the brokers, you call them advisors, consultants, they're called all kinds of stuff. The people you're buying your insurance from, because you most of you can't just go to United Healthcare and say, I want some insurance, although you technically can. But you don't. So you go through someone that helps figure this out for you, right? They, they quote everything out and they make it all pretty for you. They get paid a percentage, most of them, a percentage of what you spend. It's roughly 5%. Some down to three, some as much as seven. So if you spend a million dollars a year, let's just say, and it's the average 5%, they're making $50,000 commission on your spend. Now that may be t- totally fine based on what they're doing. I don't know what they're getting. I don't know what they're doing for that. Hopefully not just showing up once a year. That's not worth 50 grand. But um, in seven years, when, when it's compounding and it's growing and it's doubling, now it's $2 million. Guess what? They're now making $100,000 for the same work just because your base has gone up. And so that's not right. In my opinion, and it's not right according to CAA. So you have to say, wait a minute, is this reasonable compensation for the value we're getting? And it's causing conversations with brokers to say, all right, whether, and now keep in mind, this does not matter if you're, you could be fully insured. You don't have to be self insured now. So there is the law that says if a broker makes more than $1,000 a year on a health, ki- a health insurance benefit, they have to disclose that to the client. Either how much, a percentage, a PEPM, and we've been doing this for a while. We just and now we're doing it officially, but this is totally catching people off guard when they're when they don't know. They're afraid to ask, like, "Oh, it's awfully intrusive." You know, I don't care how much they make; they do a good job. Yes, you do. You have to start caring. It's part of the law now because there are misaligned incentives if you don't ask. Because the costs go up and they make more and the costs go up and they make more. That, that in this environment, 
can be fixed with a fixed rate. That's how you fix that. For instance, we put in a fixed per employee per month rate. It might be $30. It might be $80. It depends on the group. It depends on the service model. What do they want us to do? Are we taking care of all the new hires? Are we traveling around different states to help them? It depends on the service we're providing for that income. So it varies, but it's a fixed number that can be negotiated over time because of inflation, but it's not based on how much you spend. So there's no misaligned incentives as the company spends more, I make more, which means if I help the company save less, I make less. So I'm, you know, there's just a disincentive right there. I'm like, oh, I really don't want them to save too much because then I make a lot less money. When it's a fixed rate, your, your, your activities are aligned. And so that's the third piece, making sure you're working with a fiduciary level fee-based advisor. And it is a game changer because it allows you to very easily say, these are the services we want. What are you going to charge for that? Does that make sense? In some cases, it could be a couple hundred thousand dollars of fees. And that might make sense based on the size of your company, what you're doing. It allows you to have the conversation. The other thing it does is it eliminates these huge bonuses that the insurance companies pay brokerage houses to maintain levels of business. They're called retention bonuses. And so psychologically, if I know, if I'm running an office and I know United Healthcare is going to pay me three points additional if I have $10 million of premium or more on the books and I'm dropping close to the $10 million and I lose that 3% bonus psychologically, everyone working for me will kind of be pushing or being talking about the newest UHC plans coming out and how great they are because they know at top line they're getting this huge bonus. And this happened down in Florida. Do a Google search, Osceola Schools, Gallagher, Florida. And this is exactly what happened. And it happens all over the place. Those times are ending. And so you want to find a broker that says, are you willing to disclose it? If they say yes, say, send me a sample right now because it could be like, oh, yeah, we're willing to do that, but I've never done it and I'm scrambling to figure out how to do it. No, if you want an example from me, I'll I'll take the company name off and show you every single line item, how much I get paid so that it's fully disclosed because the value we provide is so high, I'm not embarrassed to talk about it or show it. I hope this is helpful. If you want to have a conversation, you can connect with us at millingroup.com. Hope you're having a great day.